I think you probably heard, I, I mentioned this to a couple of our services previously, that several weeks ago, some of, our, uh, some of our staff, our key staff, were out in California, a terrible place, suffering place, but we were there near uh, San, San Diego, just north of San Diego. It was a, a great trip. Actually, didn't, we got free transportation, free place to stay, and where we were staying is right near the beach. I mean, you could just see it right there outside the window, pretty cool, rocks and a thin strip. Well, while we were there, we were in some meetings at a church called North Coast, and we were doing that, and then we realized that this was going to end at 4.30 in the afternoon, but then we weren't flying out till the next morning, so we had this evening, and, uh, and so we decided the way we're going to use that before sundown is that we were going to try to surf, all right, and I had done this one time before, which did not go very well. And so the guys went out and they rented some surfboards, a few of them that we could share. And so we brought them back to the place. And, uh, and so the guys started trying to surf. And at first, you know, I didn't have a board, so I was just watching. It was brutal. I mean, these guys are out there, were just getting pounded and everything. And I think, you know, surely I can do better than that. And so then later, it became my turn, and I got out there, and it, it was hard. As a matter of fact, while I was there, a pastor from Seal Beach, California, recognized me. He said, hey, Kevin, he introduced himself, and he asked, hey, sir, are you guys doing anything to enjoy California? I said, well, actually, uh, this afternoon, we're going to go out and try to surf. I'm like, do you surf? And he goes, no, I don't surf. Uh, no, no, I don't surf. And I go, so you've never been? He goes, no, I've been surfing. But by, Col by California standards, I don't surf. And I go, well, what do you mean by that? How many times have you been? He said, I've been tw about 25 times. And I'm like, you've been about 25 times? Have you ever stood up on a surfboard in the waves? And he goes, oh, yeah, but I don't surf by the standards out here. So I'm like, okay, I don't know what that means. But we're getting, you know, pounded. Actually, a surfboard even got broken while we were there. But it, that's a whole other story. I wasn't there for that. But I'm out there. And then you go out, and about the, most of the guys were coming in. I think Jeremy, Jeremy and I were still out there. And, you know, you go out there, and you're just getting these breakers. They're just pounding you and pounding you. How many of you have ever surfed? Did you do it successfully? Man, I need lessons because, I mean, we're just pounded and pounded. And the waves are just throwing you all over the place. You're trying to hang on to your board, and you, you start paddling, and you think you're going somewhere, and I'm, boom, a wave just crashes over you and you feel like you're then starting all over and then you don't want to get sideways because that's a disaster. And so you just keep doing this and you're exhausted and I'm out there just being shoved all around by these waves. And then I realize I can stand up. I can touch the bottom. I mean, there's this like thin strip. There's a thin strip of beach that goes out there where there's a certain place where I'm out there and I could stand up, which makes it, by the way, a lot easier to grab a hold of everything and move forward and try to get beyond the waves. And, you know, and, and then finally, everybody stopped but me and I got out there beyond the breakers. And I realized, oh, this is where you're supposed to do this. You're supposed to get out beyond where the waves break and so I'm out there, I'm exhausted, the sun has basically almost completely gone, gone down. And let me just interrupt here. If you think this is going to be a story where I finally get it and I'm, you know, I cruise in on my feet on the, no, this is more like an elk hunting story where it doesn't work. All right, so, but finally I'm out there and I'm realizing, no, this is, this is at the very end. I mean, it's getting dark and I finally figure it out. Oh, this is where you go. And this is where you catch a wave. And so I start kind of swimming, kind of almost parallel, 
but a little like a 45 degree angle. And I'm thinking, I think about the third wave, I can do this. But the first wave just kind of grabs me and here I go. And so I get up on my hands and knees on the board and I'm you know, trying to make my move. It doesn't work, but at least I go in on my hands and knees for a while, you know, and that's the way it is. But the weird thing is, all that struggle, all that effort, and about half the time I was out there, I could have just stood up. You know, not a good thing to find out about at the end. Well, we've been talking about the life of Joseph and his life is kind of like that. I mean, he is just getting beat and beat and thrown around and tossed by all these difficult circumstances in his life. And then we learn, hey, how do you handle that? And so talking about Joseph, last week there was an interruption in the history, the historical record of Joseph and that talked about one of his brothers, Judah, and how that went and how that kind of tied in to the line from Abraham to the Messiah. So that needed to be in their chronological order. And now in chapter 39, we're back to the story of Joseph. And I just want to remind you what's going on, remember? I mean, his, he grew up, he had 11 brothers, at least 10 of them hated him. All of his older brothers hated him. And they finally, they, they were thinking about killing him. They finally decided to sell him into slavery. So they sell him to some Ishmaelites that are he- a slave caravan that's heading down to Egypt. Joseph's like 17 years old when this happens. And so they, they get him, they sell him. He becomes a slave. And as he's chained to this caravan, Walking through the desert, he looks back and over the horizon disappears everything he's ever known in his life. And then he's taken to Egypt, which is the world power of the day, the, the, uh, the main dynasty, the most powerful dynasty in the world. And he enters Egypt as a slave. When he gets there, He's thrown onto the auction block and he, he's sold off like a piece of meat. And all this is happening. And, he, and, and for him, this just had to be crushing because he was born the favorite son. I mean, he's the one that had the dreams of greatness and success and, and ruling and all this stuff. And now it couldn't get any worse, it seemed like. And so the question for us and what we will learn in this chapter, chapter 39, is what do you do when life falls apart around you? What do you do when you're just beat up? What do you do when everything goes wrong? How do you handle life then? Well, we're going to learn through this chapter exactly how to do that. When life falls apart, when you're beat up, What we're going to learn in this chapter is that we, you and I, need to live, if we're a believer, live like God is with you. Live like God is with you, because if you're a believer, he is. And so the first thing, the first section of this chapter, we're reminded that we need to live like God is with us, even when we're betrayed, even when we're alone, even when we've suffered loss. And that's how this story starts 
in Genesis chapter 39, verse 1. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. And then there's this repeated phrase that shows up more in this chapter than anywhere in the whole life of Joseph. Verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. And we might read that, and we're thinking, the Lord was with Joseph. Well, man, he is, if the Lord's with him, what's going on? Look at what's happening to him. He's suffered domestic violence. I mean, he's been, he's been brutalized by his brothers. He's been sold into slavery. He's a victim of human trafficking. And now he's a slave in a foreign country. But we keep hearing this phrase over and over, unique in this chapter, God was with him. Verse 2, so the Lord was with Joseph, so, so he became a successful man. Well, how's that going to happen? And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him. And if you'll notice, this is Lord. This is this word Yahweh that we translate with four capital letters. And again, only appears in the whole life of Joseph, you know, maybe 10 times. Eight of them are right here. Now, his master saw that the Lord was with him and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal servant. And he made him overseer over his house. And all that he owned, he put in his charge. And it came about from the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on the account of Joseph. Thus, the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned in the house and in the field. And so he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge. And with him there, he didn't concern himself with anything except the food which he ate. So you see the picture, even though Joseph's been betrayed, he's lost everything, he's in a foreign country, God is with him, he's not alone. That's not a promise by God as much as it is a fact. Joseph was not alone, the Lord was with him. And as Christians, we should experience this. I don't know if this is true of you, but some of us in this room, we, we've experienced a time where we've gone somewhere or moved somewhere where we didn't know anyone, where we didn't have any family with us, we didn't know anybody there, we had no friends, we didn't have any acquaintances, we just went to a place where we didn't know anybody at all. And it's interesting because when that happens and you're a believer, you become more tuned in to God's presence in your life. And I think that happens because there's no other relationships. It's just you and God. And so how many people have experienced something like that? And, and you're there and it's just, it's, just, it's just you and God. And so you seem to experience the presence of God more deeply than normally. But God hasn't gone anywhere. That's just our perception, right? And we can benefit from that. Because then we come to experience more fully that God is always with us, no matter what. The Holy Spirit 
is with us as a believer forever. He will always be with us. There's nothing we can do that he would leave us. And, and if you're a believer, that is a fact, not just a promise, but a fact for you. Psalm 145.18 says, The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. In the New Testament, Hebrews 13.5 includes this, For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So Joseph is there, God is with him, and then we see him being promoted. He goes from being sort of a laborer to now he works in the house to then he's a personal assistant, and then all of a sudden he's in charge of everything that Potiphar owns. And we realize the Lord is with God. It's interesting because he's successful. Why? Because the Lord made him successful. That's how we know that. The Lord caused all that Joseph did to prosper. And probably Joseph's a hard worker and everything, but what's, what's interesting is Potiphar knows that this just isn't Joseph. He's an Egyptian, and even he gets, and, and maybe he gets it because Joseph's told him, I don't know, but even Potiphar figures out, oh, everything's going well because this God, the Lord, is blessing him, and because the Lord's blessing him, the Lord is blessing me for his sake. Even Potiphar caught that. And so we're not told that Joseph was the hardest worker. I mean, that's how we imagine it. It's probably that way. That's how God followers are supposed to be, hard workers. You know, we, we could tell by the story he feared God. He was loyal. He was dependable. We have all that. We see that showing up at this point in his life. And that's how God wants us to be. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for man. We should work like we're working for God, not for our boss. We have a bigger boss that wants us to work hard, and we should do that. So after being betrayed and enslaved alone in a foreign country, he moves on with his life, and he continues to follow God. He doesn't just stop and start doing the victim thing. He doesn't live the rest of his life like a victim. Living like a victim that does not help you or anybody else around you. It just, it's just a problem. It just gives yourself an excuse. And so if this is us, we would be complaining to God. Hey, God, if you're blessing him, I see that you're blessing him, Potiphar, but I'm doing all the work here. How about blessing me? How about getting me out of slavery? How about making me rich like he is? I think that's the way a lot of us would be talking to God. But what we're learning is no matter where you're at, no matter what your situation, whether it's at school or work or your marriage or some other relationship, you know, whatever it is, whatever's going on, bloom where you're planted, as the old preachers used to say, you know, bloom where you're planted. Make the most out of what you got. Follow God and do the right thing no matter what your situation, no matter what your circumstance. Work with all your heart as for God, not people. This is the best way for God to bless us. And remember, Christian, that the Lord is with you. No matter what's going on in your life, no matter what's happened to you, live 
like God is with you when you're betrayed, when you're alone, when you've suffered loss. Live like God's with you. And then right here, in the middle of verse 6, the text shifts a little bit. And, and if, you, if this was a movie, the music would change, right? And it goes like this. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. So they break this down kind of specifically. Joseph is a well-built guy and a super handsome guy. Actually, there's only one other person in the Old Testament that's described this way with this sort of dual um, description. And that, it happens to be Rachel, Joseph's mom. So apparently Rachel was carrying some good genes. And Joseph got those. And so that's how he's described. That's kind of... And so next, we live like God is with us. Live like God is with you. Not only when you're betrayed, alone, suffer a lot. Live like God is with you when you face sexual temptation. Because that's what's going to happen next. Verse 7, it continues. And it came about after these events that his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph. And she said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, with me here, my master doesn't concern himself with anything in the house, and he has put all that he owns in my charge. There is no one greater in this house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? As she spoke to Joseph... Day after day, he did not listen to her to lie beside her or even be with her. Now, it happened one day that he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the household was there inside. And she caught him by his garment, saying, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and went outside. And so, just like us, Joseph is faced with sexual temptation. And in our culture, sexual temptation is everywhere. Everywhere. It's all over the place. Our culture is saturated with it. And so here's Joseph. You know, by this time, he, he got down there when he was 17. He's probably... 20, 21, early 20s, something like that. He's, he's a slave in a foreign land, and then all of a sudden the boss's wife is coming on to him. And, and the thing about it is he, he, could, he could get away with this. I mean, he's in charge of the other slaves, basically. His wife is the master's wife. I mean, they can do this, and nobody will know. Nobody's there. And he could get away with it. And, you know, it's temptation. For, for him, this may have been the only, you know, that he's never could imagine himself ever having a wife because he's a slave. And so for him, it might have been, boy, this is the only time this can ever happen for me. So right when things get better, he's faced with sexual temptation. And notice, he knows this is wrong. 
this event happens 400 years before the law. All right, so we're in Genesis. The first five books are actually written, they're accurate history, but they were actually put down in writing by Moses. Moses is the guy who delivers, God uses to deliver the Hebrew people out of 400 years of slavery. Joseph going to Egypt, he's the first guy there, and shortly everybody goes, and then right after that, 400 years, they're enslaved, all, all his relatives in Egypt. But before the law ever came, Joseph knows this is wrong. He knows by the oral history of Genesis up to this point that God created one man for one woman, and this is God's plan for sexual gratification and happiness in the context, the bounds of marriage. That's what God wants. Joseph knows this, so he knows it's wrong against God, so he pushes back against it. And we typically know it too. But here's what Joseph didn't do. Joseph didn't start thinking, well, the plan's off the rails here. I'm a slave, so it really doesn't matter anymore. Hey, God, you know, since you know I'm never going to be able to get married, I'm surely you're going to cut me some slack on this now. I mean, this is my only chance for this type of gratification maybe that I'll ever have. You know, why not grab it? He doesn't start arguing with God. He doesn't start thinking he has a better plan. And he doesn't kind of turn to God saying, how, do you, how can you tell me how to live? That's, that's what we do. We think we're going to be okay. We think we have a plan. We think we're not going to be caught. And all of that, in a way, is saying, God, who are you to tell me how to live my life? Your phrases like that all the time. Well, he's our creator who gave us life. That, that's who he is to tell us how to live our life. But, but we, today, it's like we, we know what God says typically. Sometimes we get people in church, and they don't know what God says. And so that, that's a great, fun conversation, and, and they're usually very receptive to that. But most of us, we know what God says. But we always think that we have some unique situation where maybe all the rules don't really apply to us in this circumstance. And that's widespread in our culture. And that's why, you know, constantly we're hearing about sexual scandals. They happen so often that they're not even so scandalous anymore. You know, hear anybody in the spotlight, you know, politicians, worse, pastors, you know, and, it, and sexual temptation, it destroys acting on that, destroys families, it destroys ministries, it destroys marriages. Super destructive, super damaging. And it, you'll, you'll hear about it. You know, it's like some guy, a pastor, and, and they usually that's what hits the news because they see that as hypocritical, which it, which it is. And, you know, here he, you know, it's, it's usually some famous guy, or you wouldn't hear about it. And, and he sort of went through, you know, when nobody knew who he was, and he was probably training for school, and he married, you know, his wife, and they didn't have anything because he was working and going to school and all this stuff, you know. And then all of a sudden when things get a little better because they've kind of hit the national spotlight, which usually means that they have a big ministry, 
all of a sudden it's betrayal to the one who is with him the whole time. And what I've realized after becoming a pastor, no little girl wants to grow up and be a pastor's wife. Yeah, I didn't know that. I mean, even Pam, who was a pastor's daughter, didn't want to grow up and be a pastor's wife. You know, we, we need to follow God or we are going to destroy things all around us. When you follow lust, when you act on it, it damages. It, it damages your innocence. It damages your marriage. It damages other relationships. It damages stuff at work or in ministry. Or it just, it just, it's destructive. It happens all the time. God says sexual sin is even in a different category in that it's sort of against our own body. It's against God, first of all. But it's even against us. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. God has a plan. God invented marital relations. He has a plan. God's plan is best for us if we will just trust him. It's better than the world's plan. And so... Joseph acknowledges all this, but here's what you kind of pick up in the story. This has been happening day after day after day. And so before she ever starts grabbing onto his clothes and there's a struggle and she ends up with his cloak, I think it says, but may, maybe his shirt as you're reading the Hebrew, I mean, he, and he runs out half-dressed. He's already determined that he's not going to do this. He didn't have to wait till he got in the moment and then decide, oh, what should I do here? It's been happening day after day after day. He said no, and then he started staying away from her. He started watching where he was at. He started taking action to make sure this wouldn't happen. He wouldn't even be with her. Wouldn't be alone with her. And so he's predetermined, so when it happens, he responds the way he should respond, because he's ready. We have to determine to flee before it happens. We have to get ready. We have to put this category under God. We have to say, okay, God, you're in charge of this part of my life, too. We don't like to do that in a lot of areas, money, sex. These are some of these areas we struggle with that. And we start to rationalize. Rationalize is when we basically tell ourselves rational lies. Y'all rationalize. We just start telling ourselves lies. And, and, and we start doing dumb things. And sometimes that's before we're married, when we're married, when, when we're planning to get married. You know, ladies... Marry a man and make babies. Don't marry a baby and then try to make a man. That doesn't work. Do it God's way. Do what God's telling you to do. Joseph could have said, hey, my life's jacked up. My family, my dreams, everything's ruined. I'm a slave. Why not do this? Why not reach out? Why not grab anything I can grab? But he resisted temptation. He followed God. He reacted in a godly way because he was ready, and we need to be ready too. We need to be prepared. 
So live like God is with you when you're betrayed, alone, when you suffered loss. Live like God is with you when you face sexual temptation. I mean, God's there. God knows. Live like that. And then live like God is with you when lies smear your rep- reputation. Because this is the next thing that's going to happen. Next verse, verse 13. When she saw that he'd left his garment in her hand and fled outside, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought in a Hebrew to us to make sport of us. He came into me to lie with me, and I screamed. And when he heard that, I raised my voice and screamed. He left his garment beside me and fled and went outside. So she left his garment beside her until his master came home. Then she spoke to him these words. The Hebrew slave whom you brought to us came in to make sport of me. And as I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me and fled outside. Now, when his master heard these words, heard the words of his wife, which she spoke to him, saying, this is what your slave did to me, his anger burned. He's ticked. And you notice what happened here? She tells this big lie, which actually turns out to be the opposite of the truth. By the way, we see this every day right now in the election cycle, right? I mean, people get up there, politicians get up and boldly say crazy lies And a lot of times they're about their opponent when actually, no, their opponent's innocent of that. It's the person accusing their opponent that actually does that. Anybody know what I'm saying? Every day, maybe every hour, maybe every five minutes until Wednesday. And, And that's what I... Because I, I never kind of thought of lying that way. I, and maybe you're, it's, this is the way it is with you. We think typically of lying is, you know, you shade the truth a little bit. You sort of shave it off to make you look a little better in this version of kind of what happened. That's how I think of lying. Yeah, you're kind of shading this. You didn't really, you weren't, you know, totally truthful there. You made this sound, but that didn't really happen like that. But that's not the main way people lie today. Now it's tell the biggest, boldest lie about your opponent that's something you did and accuse them of it. That's exactly what happens here. Joseph is not being sexually inappropriate, sexually inappropriate. Who is? She is. She's the one that's done all this. She's the one that's acting sexually inappropriate. But then that's what she accuses Joseph. And Joseph is innocent of that. Boy, lies. You know, I would say they're just getting bigger and bolder all the time. But then this happened like 35,000 years, you know, 3,500 years ago. I mean, a long time ago. There's a lot I could say about the election season, but I won't. But I'm just going to say this. (laughs) Wouldn't it be nice, wouldn't it be refreshing if you heard a politician get up and say something like this? You know all the stuff they're saying about my opponent? Probably most of that's not true. Just vote for me because I think I'll represent you better. You know, that's what we would never hear, right? It's just not part of our culture. 
It's blast, 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 and the bigger, the bolder that you can say it, it's just, just kind of crazy. So live like God is with you when you're betrayed, alone, when you've lost everything, when you're tempted sexually, when people are lying and slandering your name. And then last here is live like God is with you when you're unjustly punished. Because this happens to Christians a lot. As a matter of fact, God's telling us, be ready for this. Expect this. This is called persecution. And by the way, this last point, it blows up the prosperity gospel that you hear from some preachers on TV. That if you just name it, claim it, this is not what happened to Joseph. Joseph did everything right in this, this section of his life, and he suffered for it. So Potiphar was angry with Joseph. I mean, we get that. It's, it's pretty plain in the text. Although there's something that's off here. And that is, Joseph isn't killed. Joseph's thrown in prison. The weird thing about that is even if an Egyptian citizen was accused of doing this, they could, they could get the death penalty. They could be killed. That's just a slave. So the fact that Joseph survives this, you know, it's like, whoa, what? what's, what's going on? And, and we don't know exactly. You know, maybe Potiphar's a little smarter than we give him credit for. Like he knows, hey, yeah, well, you know, I don't know that I believe everything my wife says as she's telling this lie. Of course, that's what happens. People tell lies, and all of a sudden you're like, yeah, yeah. And so maybe it's that. We don't know. But he still punishes, still throws him in jail, but not the death penalty. It picks up in verse 20. So Joseph's master took him and put him into the jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in jail, but the Lord was with Joseph. That's our theme. The Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. The chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge all the prisoners who were in the jail so that whatever was done there, he was responsible for it. The chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. You see, this whole time in his life, we find Joseph in a rough crowd. And all these bad things are happening. He's just being pounded and pounded. And not only was God with him, we're going to find out all through this, the life of Joseph that God was preparing him. And so all this is happening, and Joseph's not seeing it at the beginning. I mean, wow, all, he, he didn't expect that he's going to be sold into slavery, betrayed by his brothers, didn't expect that he would be sold as a slave, and all these things happen. But you got to know as you just go through this one chapter, this section of Joseph's life, that at some point, the light came on. Some point, the, the switch flipped. At some point, he's going, oh, all these bad things happened to me, but God is still blessing me. God is still with me. At some point, when he took off for Egypt in the slave caravan. He's like, yeah, nobody's with me. I'm totally alone. But somewhere in this chapter, he had to discover, no, no, actually, 
even though these bad things are happening, God is with me. The switch flipped. And the question is, has the switch flipped for you in what you're going through? Where you feel like you've been alone or betrayed or suffered loss or faced sexual temptation or been falsely accused or wrongly punished? Have you been so far in your story yet that you realize, hey, the switch is flipped. Hey, I'm telling you, just reach down and touch the bottom. It's not as bad as you think. God's been there the whole time, and God is with you now. It's more than a promise. If you're a believer, it's a fact. Keep following God no matter what circumstance in your life. Keep following him no matter what hardship you're going through. That's, that's what Joseph did. And that's what God enables us to do through his spirit that he puts in our life when we become a believer. Now, the deal is, though, you have to become a believer. And to become a believer, that means you have to have come to the point in your life where you admit, that you're, you, you admit your sins, you admit that you're a sinner, you've done things wrong against God, but that you come to understand that God loves you and that through Abraham and Judah and David and Solomon, and all, he sent a Savior, Jesus Christ, that we celebrate at Christmas, that he came and he came to pay the just and right penalty for our sins. And he did that on the cross of Calvary. And so now, if we admit our sins and we put our trust in Jesus and Jesus alone, and what he did paid for our sins on the cross, when we put our faith in him in that way, that's when we become a believer. When you become a believer, the Holy Spirit comes into your life and he never will leave you. He will never forsake you. He will always be with you. Know that. Feel the ground that's under your feet. And so when we know that, we want to follow him. And what does God want us to do? Well, if you're a believer, one of the first things is believer's baptism. That's baptism after you've made the decision to follow Christ with your life. If you haven't done that, we have one coming up. You can sign up, let us know, go by the information table, Write your name down for us. We'll contact you and talk to you about it. And the other thing is, do what Joseph probably did. How did Potiphar know, hey, Joseph's blessed. How did he know the Lord was blessing him? Well, probably Joseph told him that, explained that to him, had a conversation over the years with him about that. And that's what we should be doing with people around us. Next Sunday, Veterans Day, a great time to invite a veteran to come to church and while they're at church, we will honor them like we always do on Veterans Day. And Christmas, best time to invite people to church. That's when we have more people come to church than any other season. And so as in preparation for that, grab a sign, a yard sign. Yeah, I'm still hawking yard signs. I do that every few months. Yeah, yard signs are by the doors. Grab them, put them up. You don't have to mow around them anymore. <laughs> do what you think God wants you to do. Let's stand for prayer.
Father God in heaven, we thank you for your goodness. Lord, we thank you for your love for us more than we deserve. God, we thank you for most of us here that you have saved us, that we've admitted our sin, we put our trust in you, you've come into our life, and you'll never leave us. And Lord, sometimes we don't act like it, sometimes we don't live like it, but it's true nonetheless. Lord, help us to live that way. And Father, for for our friends that are here that haven't made that decision, Father, we pray that you would pull them that you would reveal yourself, that you'd help them to understand, and if they have questions, they'd help them to get their answers. Just come and ask, because it's the most important decision they'll ever make, and they're not guaranteed another day to make it. God, thanks for loving us. Lord, help us to be the church you want us to be. Help us to advance your message in this area. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thanks for being here. You're dismissed. Have a great day.